Good morning. Man, it's so good to be with you guys. Welcome to Whitewater, a place you can belong before you believe. We're finishing this series called Built, and it's all about building our faith. Everybody loves the results of faith, but um, not often do we want to um, live a life of faith, because it's scary. It takes um, courage. And... Um, our hope is that as we've gone through the, you know, Acts and the book of Luke, as we've kind of looked at the theology and looked at the stories of Jesus in there, that our church would be building up in faith. And, and, um, and so today we're going to be talking the, the last portion. This is the last, that last day that we're talking about, um, being built up in faith in our generosity. Um, our church is, is, is in a really cool moment. Our church is at that point where we actually started in a home. We moved to Fredericks and Elementary School. We went to Peel High School. And, uh, now we're here. And our rental space is your rental space. But we feel like God's calling us to go get a, a, a more permanent place to call home. And we want to get, be ready for that home. And we don't know, um, you know, what that's going to look like exactly. We just want to be ready. We don't know if we're going to get a property or a property with a building on it or what that will fully look like. But we just know that, that we never want to get to a point where the, the, the shoe tells the foot how big it can get. We never want to want to say, hey, we don't have room for you. And we just imagine what, what could happen in our church and a church that loves to bless the community, that loves to bless foster the foster care community. Um, we, we have groups that bless the elementary schools in the area, other nonprofits. Imagine what our church could do um, if we didn't just have a building two days out of the week because we get this on Sundays and Wednesday nights. Imagine what God could do through our church if we had it seven days a week. How cool would that be? So we just want to start preparing and getting ready for that. And many of you guys who have started a family, some of you guys might have even started in your parents' home and parents who have had kids in their home, what's the next step for your kids? Staying in the home for 30 years. That's great. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> no, we're, we're moving forward and often renting. And that's what we've been doing. And then eventually getting your own, your own place. So that's been the journey of our church. Um, if you're new and, and you haven't heard us talk about this at all, um, the last three weeks we've been really introducing this thing called the Built Campaign. It's a year-long, year-long campaign to really raise a down payment um, to be ready for when that happens. And you can grab one of these in the back and you can read through that yourself and check that out. I won't have to talk about that too much. Let me say a word of prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for... Each and every soul that's here, Lord, you love them so much, and your grace is so great. Thank you for Kenzie's story, Lord. Um, thank you that she found you and gave her life to you, and that you were with her every step of the way, even through the trials. And I pray that if there's anybody else experiencing just trial like that today, Lord, they would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. So I did this wedding once. Uh, since I'm a pastor, I do weddings sometimes, and it was this wedding. I was standing like right here, and it was in the most beautiful setting I've ever done a wedding, and it was this like a high church. I can't, I think it was Methodist or Anglican, but it was this huge church, like huge arches. It was super old. It's right next to the, uh, the, the UW campus up in Seattle, and um, this thing was just huge. It had all the stained glass, and it, you know, it has all this history. They've got all these names on plaques. Um, all over the church of like famous people and 
uh, it was just really beautiful. And then the, the wedding party was just amazing. And the, we had, you know, the, the, uh, all the, the bridesmaids were just gorgeous and ready. And the, the, uh, the, the wedding party for all the men, they had this, all these dudes there with all the, the groomsmen. And they were just super handsome and ready. Everything was just beautiful. And then like half of the groomsmen were like amazing musicians. So in the middle of the wedding, they went and started playing like amazing songs that were, it was just on probably one of the prettiest weddings I've ever been at and it was like the kind of hall where you could you could say something you go hey and just go hey 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 it was like that big of a and in the middle of it like I remember standing there and the groom's here and he's waiting for his bride to come out and I kind of look back and there's an area where they're going to have their first communion where you you know like remember together what the the sacrifice that Jesus made and and there was this table that had bread and wine on it I look back and in this pristine huge building there was this beautiful bottle of wine with what looked to be like Wonder Bread. <laughs> Wrapped in regular Wonder Bread plastic. And I looked back and I was like, oh, that, that doesn't fit. And I, I, I looked over the groom and, she, you know, his bride hadn't come down or anything. And there's still a few things happening. I'm like, hey, do you want me to open that? Because it was like twisty shut. And it was like, they're, I, like how are they going to do that? Like when they're married and emotional. And I was like, do you want me to open that? He's like, sure. And he looked back and he's like, what the heck? It's like, it like Wonder Bread. And I guess what had happened, found out that the groomsmen had gone and taken care of all this stuff and taken care of everything, except on the way there, they realized we forgot the bread. They were going to get some bread from a baker that looked beautiful, that fit the occasion. And so they were like, well, bread, we need bread. And they were like, they saw a 7-Eleven on their way up. <laughs> they got some like Wonder Bread. And it was just like so awesome. So I went and like tried to open this thing finally busted it open and i you know a few wonder bread pieces fell out and i stood there and for their first communion they took this amazing like vintage wine and wonder bread to remember <laughs> and we've been looking at this story we've been looking at some of the different layers of the story of jesus where he feeds the five thousand actually it was probably more than that it was probably more like 15 to twenty thousand people with kids and and women that were there and this story the disciples say hey jesus we've been doing ministry all this cool stuff you've been teaching but send the people away we got to send them away because they need to get lodging they need to get food we don't have enough food for like thousands of people go ahead and send them away and you guys remember what jesus says you feed them and disciples like whoa 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 like do you look around we've only got this amount of bread they just got a few loaves of bread and fish and they're like, we can't feed them unless you want us to go buy them food. But where would we, where would we buy it? Where would we get the money for it, Jesus? They're like trying to work backwards with them and say, you know, this just isn't logical. This doesn't work. And, and, and Jesus, um, one of the things we've learned as we've studied this passage, we just looked at different layers of this passage. One of the things we learned is that God wants to give through our hands. He wants to give with and through your hands and my hands. That's how God longs to bless the world. And only when we give what he's given us, only when we give the bread he's put in our hands, is it multiplied. It's not multiplied until we give it. And so God, we, we see part of his nature is this crazy, generous God. And then we learn that Jesus, when he looked up to heaven, he, he blessed it, he broke the bread, and then he gave it. And what we learned last week is often before we can give or before we become generous with our lives, before we reflect the generosity of God, God often has to break something in our heart. 
maybe some hold that consumerism has or fears that we have, fears that there's not enough. And when you look at the world, we, there's never enough to go around, but somehow when God's a part of it, he provides. And um, often we have to have self-centeredness, selfishness, and scarcity broken off of our heart for us to give. We're blessed, broken, and given. And only when we're blessed, broken, and given in our lives do we allow our, our lives to be like bread in the hands of God. And this week, I, I really want to look at, at a way that Jesus sees reality. And we'll see in this passage, that way that he sees reality that's different than everybody else. And if you, so if you were to look at this passage, Luke chapter 9, in verse 16 it says, Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and he, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, to put them out before the people that were broken into groups of 50. And everyone ate and was filled, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. And it, it, the bread was multiplied when it was given. And it's interesting to me, one of the layers I want to look at here is it's really interesting that Jesus, in the face of scarcity, in the face of doubt of his disciples, in the face of not having enough resources, that he trusts his heavenly father and he says, God, would you bless this? Would you multiply this? Would you do a miracle here? Um, It's interesting to me that the first temptation of Jesus, do you guys know the, the temptation of Jesus in the desert with Satan? It's back in, in, in chapter 4. Um, what was the first temptation? Satan comes up to, to Jesus and, and the devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, if you really are the, the Son of the Creator, the one who's come to renew the world, tell this stone to become what? To become bread. Isn't it interesting that the first temptation becomes this incredible miracle? But only because Jesus passes the temptation. So what was the temptation? Turn this bread in, or turn this stone into bread. Turn this stone into bread. That's the temptation to provide for oneself. To try to be the one, the provider for yourself. The one who, by your own power, you provide for yourself. You take your eyes off of God, off your need for Him, and you try to provide your own needs. Jesus could have gone that route, and if He had provided bread for everybody who's hungry all the time, and He just was the provider in His own strength, He would have become very popular, right? He would become very popular. Back in those days, a lot of people needed bread. And, and yet Jesus stands the test. It says that Jesus answered Satan. He said, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus has this ability not to give in to the temptation to provide for himself, but to look at the true provider, his heavenly father, and trust him so that when he's faced with 5,000 men and thousands of other you know, women and children, and there's this need and he wants, to, he wants to meet their spiritual need and meet their physical need, he looks up and what does he do? He looks up to his father and then he asks his father, would you bless us? Would you provide? And then God does this miracle. That doesn't happen if he doesn't pass that test. And many of us face that test. So my question is, how did Jesus pass that test? How did, how did he not just give in and provide for himself and take advantage when he's starving and hungry and the devil's tempting him? How did he not give in to that? How did he see the great need and, and not just say, you know what, I can do this crazy miracle, it's going to be about me. How does he look up to heaven and give credit glory to his father and ask his father to provide? And, and, and when you look at the story of Jesus and you look at the, uh, the way our world looks at reality, um, it, 
It's, it's upside down. In the book of Mark, there's a story where Jesus is at the temple and he sees like this woman come along. She's a widow. She's lost her husband. And she gives everything she has and she, she lays it, um, at, into the, into the collection plate for this, for the temple. And at the same time and just before, there'd been all these wealthy people who were giving so much, uh, money, way more than she could give. And they were, they looked so much more religious. They looked so much more, um, put together. And Jesus notes in this story in Mark chapter 12, he says, Truly, I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. In a world, like if you had a financial advisor that looked at this woman who comes as a widow with all that she has and gives it to the temple, what would a financial advisor say? That's crazy. That's foolish. No, don't do that. But Jesus commends her and says that she's wise because she sees the world differently. So how does she see the world differently that Jesus would commend her when the world would normally say, that's crazy. Give out of your surplus, not out of like your poverty. Give out of what you have, not out of what you know, like you need for yourself. Why would Jesus commend that? There's another story Jesus tells in, in Luke. I think that just captures the human mentality. Jesus tells the story, a rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what, what should I do since I don't have uh, anywhere to store my crops? I will do. He's been so prosperous that he doesn't have room for all of his produce and all that God has given him. And he says this, I'll, you know what, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have have many goods stored up for you over the years. Take it easy, eat, drink, be merry, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. Why? Jesus always flips the telescope, always flips the paradigm, always flips the way we look at things. And what would the financial advisor tell the person who saved up and they've done a super good job at like, you know, creating a surplus in their life and they've been really blessed and then they're just going to relax. They build bigger barns and they build bigger barns. And finally, when they're coming, you know, to the time where they want to relax, maybe retire, I'm ready to retire. The, what does the, what does the advisor say to that person? Great job. Go relax, go retire, and go sit and go sit and enjoy your retirement. But God says, you fool. Why does he say you fool? Verse 20 it says, This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be now? All that you put your life into, all those barns that you built bigger and bigger and filled more and more stuff, now who will they belong to that your life is being called upon? Like you're this man is being called home. <laughs> and he says, You fool. You fool. And then he says this in verse 21. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm not saying anybody's a fool in here. This is just totally Jesus. (laughs) It's totally Jesus saying that we're foolish if we're only storing up for ourselves and not being rich towards God. He's not saying that it's wrong to store up. He's not saying it's wrong to make a surplus. He's not saying that money is evil. That's one of the themes that we'll be looking at. Money isn't evil. It's the love of money. It's the love of self over and above the things of God. So why, why does this guy get it wrong and anybody who becomes like him get it wrong? Why is the woman who gave out of her poverty, not out of her surplus, why is that right? How does she get that right? And then uh, how did Jesus not give in to the temptation?
temptation that the world would give into to provide for himself. Do you see the theme here? Like there's, there's a different way of looking at the world. And here's, here's the answer. Here's what I think it is. I think that the book of Luke and the book of Acts is, is really driving toward this reality. Jesus came to earth not only to die for our sins and to give us forgiveness, yes, but to change our perspective. To give us an eternal perspective. This is the way I kind of think of it. If you throw the uh, the dot in the line. Many of us, uh, we live life for the here and now. We live life for what we can see and the, and the temporary realities that we exist in. And I would call that the dot. Many of us will live to about 70. Many, Some of us might live to 80. Very few of us will live to 90. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's going to be me. Maybe. Um, some of you, if you're really lucky, will live into the hundreds. But on average, we'll live about 70-something years. Think about that. We have 70-something years. An author I love, um, he has this quote. He says, you and I are unending spiritual beings in God's great universe. You and I are designed for eternity, this line that goes on for millions and millions of years. But we get so focused on the dot of our lives that we start living and giving all of our life for those 70 years. We start worrying more about those 70 years than the 70 billion, billion, billion of eternity that we're going to be living with God. We're not trained to think for that. We're trained to think for the dot. How many of you guys could say this might be true in our culture? See, this is the truth. The, the, the rich man who's storing for himself and not being rich toward God, not giving toward the eternal things, he's living for the dot. The disciples who would look, or anybody who would look at the, the woman in poverty and, and who's a widow, and, and she giving to the Lord's eternal purposes, if you don't see that that's an amazing faith that she trusts God will take care of her, then you're, you, what you're doing is you're living for the dot. Jesus came to teach us to live life for the f- in, in full and to live for eternity. And here's, here's another reality. Um, disciples don't live and give for the dot. They live and give for the line. Disciples of Jesus change their perspective. Um, uh, and an illustration of this is uh, yesterday I was with my daughter and, and she's learning how to ride her bike without me. And one of the things she'll do is when she starts riding, she'll look up and then she'll look down at her feet pedaling. And then what happens? Boom! You know, she'll crash or she'll put her foot out. She's learned to kind of fall kind of funny. She'll put her foot out and then go, ah, and then throw the bike down. And then like, I'm like, ah, I'm hurt. You know, I'm like, Novella, get back up. It's okay. And, and, but what I, what I, what I've been training her is like, where you look is where you go. Where you look is where you go. And I'll have Sarah or her grandma was up and you stand at the end of our driveway and, and look at mama, look at grandma, look at grandpa. And where you look is where you go. And whenever she gets off, I can tell that she's been looking at her feet. She's been looking where she's at. And so it is in spiritual reality. When we live for the dot, we start getting all wonky and falling. Oh God, I need your help. You know, instead of keeping our eyes set on eternal things. And I can tell when someone, Luke, if you read through the scriptures of Luke, um, both Luke and Acts, he's always calling this out. Jesus is always teaching this in his teachings that when you struggle with fear and fear is taking over rather than faith, you're living for the dot most likely because you're not, you're not seeing that. Like even if the worst happens here, like I have an eternity with God, this will pass. 
Even when I'm going through trials, even when I'm going through frustrations, this will pass. Like I'm living for eternity. And I'm going to live as if eternity is real. I'm going to bring heaven to earth now. I'm not waiting to escape earth someday and not make any impact because our lives are to be built on the kingdom of God, which is eternal. When people are struggling with greed, when they're struggling with money and they're worried, they're living for the dot rather than living with a peace and a joy and a, and a, and a fearlessness because they, because they see that they're living for eternity. And even if they're like, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not great enough. I don't have enough. I'm, I'm not this and I'm that. Like it doesn't, you've got a whole eternity to get better at what you're doing. Just trust God with what you got. And when the disciples are, have this bread put in their hands with Jesus and there's all these thousands of people and it's so easy to look at the thousands and look at what's in your hand and hold it tightly and close your hands. When we look at God and we remind ourselves of the eternity that we're called to, all of a sudden we realize, oh, I don't have to be, it's, it's not a scarce world, it's an abundant world because I have the Creator with me. Amen? So I want to give you guys some Lucan theology. That's Luke's theology. Jesus' theology and convictions on learning to live and give for the line, not the dot. The first one, first reality is, uh, is this. Repentance releases generosity. Repentance releases generosity. You guys remember Zacchaeus? There's two stories that really highlight this reality. Zacchaeus is this tax collector. No one likes him. And Jesus sees him in a tree because he's in a tree because no one will let him get to Jesus because they don't like him. Apparently tax collectors were very hated in this day and age. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And the whole crowd's like, ugh, that guy. And a bunch of the crowd begin to complain. They say, he's gone to be with that sinful man. And Jesus says, yep, and he goes to his house. And Zacchaeus, when he hears all the grumbling, his response, because people don't want him to be saved. God, please don't save him. Have you ever thought or felt that about somebody? You're so wicked. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) There's just those feelings that come up sometimes, right? And Zacchaeus' response is really interesting. He says, Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And Lord, if I've extorted or cheated anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much as I took. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Repentance has has come because one of the signs of repentance is a generous life, is a life that sees eternity in light of the dot and says, what I do now impacts eternity. I'm not saying that the dot is worthless or it's not anything. It matters, but it only matters in light of eternity. Peddling matters. As long as you can keep your eyes set on where you're going. Or else if you're crashing, it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? We need to look to the end game to inform the now game. And our, the, for Christians, it's eternity. There's, so Zacchaeus repents and his repentance generates generosity or releases generosity in him. But then there was another man who came to Jesus, a rich young ruler, also wealthy like Zacchaeus. And this guy comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit good, uh, eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You know the commandments you're supposed to follow. And the the rich young ruler says, I've kept all these from my youth. I have been completely spiritual, totally devoted. Some of us are like, yeah, whatever. But Jesus doesn't argue with that. He kind of gives them that. He's like, yeah, I can see that you've actually lived really righteously. 
But he says, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. He says, invest what you have now in eternal things. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very, very rich. He didn't repent and become generous. He walked away sad. And I wonder how many people here today are in Zacchaeus' shoes where they've repented, they've come to Jesus, they've, they've turned away from the foolishness that life can throw at us and the decisions that we can make and said, God, I want to follow you. I'm throwing everything in with you. And then generosity pours out of their life. Love pours out of their life. Just a sweetness and a kindness and a joy and a peace pours out of their life. And I wonder if there's people here that are struggling because they've been on the path of the young ruler where they're doing lots of good things or, you know, like they look good in front of other people and, they, and maybe, you, maybe you have a lot of great things, but, but money, generosity is not a part of your life the way God wants you to. You've been living for the dot. You're like the young ruler. I wonder if there's someone here that God is wanting to break into a life where they start living for the line and not the dot. Everything we own is really on loan. Here's another really important uh, piece of theology in Luke. Everything we own is really on loan. In chapter 16 of Luke, it says this, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is, is unrighteous in much. It says, if, you, if you're faithful with a lot, then you know, you're faithful uh, with more. If you're, if you're unfaithful just a little bit, you're going to be unfaithful with more. And so God's looking for managers and stewards is the old fashioned term term that will manage God's money. Well, because they realize that I'm not the man, I'm not the owner. God is the owner. I'm just the manager. And so many people when in our culture, especially because it's about me, mine, what I get, we're all entitled to what we should get when we want it as fast as we want it. That's the culture we live in. You know, it's one button push away and I should get what I deserve. And when I don't get it, I'm angry. And the culture we live in shows us that we're living for the dot when that's true. We're living for the dot when we treat God like he's our manager that we kind of give assignments to. God, get me this. Do this for me. Would you make this better? Would you answer this prayer right away? And we're living like we're the owner. The reality is we start seeing a eternity, we flip that and we say, God, you are the owner. I am just managing everything you've given me. So how are we doing with managing what God has given us? The breath in your lungs, the the blood that's beating through your veins right now, the friendships you have, the car you drove here in that maybe the bank owns a little bit of, or the house that you own that maybe the bank owns a little bit or a lot of, but everything you own is really on loan. God is looking for faithful stewards. Next one is can't we, uh, the Lucan theology this, that runs through Luke and Acts is we can't serve, disciples of Jesus can't serve God and money. Our money serves us as we serve God. In Luke 16, it says, no servant can serve two masters. Instead, uh, since either has been, uh, either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And some of us were like, no, I totally get it, but I, I think I can do that. No, God, I totally get it. You're the most important thing, but I really do think I can serve both God and money. I'm conserving my job and my possessions. And, and we can't. We're either serving God or we're serving our money. And our money is supposed to serve us as we serve God, not the other way around. That's living for the dot, not living for the line. 
I love this this uh, quote from Jim Elliot. He said, "He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose." Isn't that great? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep uh, to gain what he cannot lose. Some of us are living, and uh, we have a master who's temporary, and we're building up a a life and a castle and a kingdom that's just gonna someday it's gonna be be at the bottom of a of a of a heap of garbage. And God wants us to be living for the eternal things. It's not saying those things are evil, but if those are the things leading us, they're leading us to destruction, not leading us towards eternity. Um, Here's another reality. You can't keep wealth and possessions, but you can send them ahead. You can't keep your wealth and possessions. Like the man who's like, I'll build bigger barns and more and more, and then I'm going to just relax. And God's like, you fool, your life is, is, is gone today. Now who's your wealth going to go to? You've been rich toward yourself and not toward me when you could have been utilizing what you've gained to, to, to send it ahead of you, send it toward heaven by bringing more people to Jesus. Guys, I don't want to be known for what I've done in the past, um, more for what I've done in the past five years, ten years. I want to be known for what I'm doing today. And part of that is living in light of, of eternity. Are you with me on that? I want to live in light of eternity. I want to live in light of what Jesus uh, is calling me to do. And I want to send my possessions, use those to send things forward. Someday, I would rather have conversations with people who now know Jesus and now are in heaven. Someday when I'm dead, I'm having a conversation. And they found Jesus because of a movement like Whitewater, because of what God did through our church, rather than be like, hey, do you remember you know, that, you know, that sweet uh, car that I had? Do you remember that sweet house we built? And those are not bad things, but they're not eternal things. So make sure your temporary things are being sent ahead or being utilized to build eternal things. Amen. It's quiet in here sometimes when we talk about this. Where is, where is your treasure? And where your treasure goes, your heart flows. Where your treasure goes, your heart flows. Someone invests in something. You invest in the stock market. You invest in a home. You invest in anything. I'm telling you, you are keeping track of it. Because where we invest our time, talent, and treasure especially, that's where our heart flows. So where's your heart flowing to these days? What does your checkbook say about you? What does your debit card say about you? What do your Amazon purchases say about you? None of those things are bad necessarily. But sometimes they can reveal who's really leading who. So the problem is that we're afraid. The problem comes when Jesus wants to give us something powerful. And we want to like wrap our hands around and keep it for ourselves and not give it away. I have some friends that I I, I want to have come up here and just share a little bit about their process of learning to like open their hands. And like, would you guys welcome my friends, Derek and Melissa up here real quick? Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, thank you guys for coming. Um, about a year ago, you guys took a big risk and decided to step out in faith in giving and generosity. And that was like a opening your hand moment. It's a little scary. Would you guys just uh, describe that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think that was, um, it was just over a year now. Um, I'd been looking for a job for a long time and 
I'm remembering now. George was really good and gave me these questions of, in ahead of time, and now I just remembered. So this is great. Uh, <laughs> it's scary when you're standing. It's different than sitting. They, this is they off, look much more this is judgmental. Straight off the cuff for all of you. So here you go. Uh, I remember it was uh, Ty and Samantha Wilbur's story, and they were like, kind of in the same situation, looking for a job, and and they just said, "Well, we can step out, and we want to give. We want to make that a priority." Um, and God really helped him find a job, and I was sitting out there thinking the same exact thing. I was like, man, I'm looking for a job. I don't know why it's taking so long. Like, what's going on, God? And that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, let's just do it. I think that was the day we had that conversation. We just kind of looked at each other in the car. We're like, all right, it's time. Like, like that's going to be our path, too. So we, we kind of took the cue from them. Um, but it was scary just making that decision, especially in advance, and just being like, this is what we're going to do. And now we're committed to that. And... Uh, we're seeing some life change in our life now. We just bought a house, and, and we have a young family and two little girls. And, and so I would say there's, there's still some of that anxiety for us, for sure. But um, we've seen God do things just with our finances and our life with, with an open hand that we couldn't have done with closed hands. So, mm. um, so even though we're moving into a different season and there's some more of those uncertainties, um, he's been so faithful over the last year, it's like... I don't know why we wouldn't trust him with it. So, mm. Melissa, from your perspective, and the step you guys took was to give 10% and tithe. And when you're looking at that from the, from the this is new, and you're looking at that, that, that looks really scary. It looks really scary, I think. For, and if you're not a Christian, you're not, you've not been raised in the faith or anything like that, that probably seems crazy scary. So how did you deal with the fears Saying God, ninety percent for us, ten percent for you, is greater than hundred percent just for us. Well, I think for me, I realized that tithing is a reflection of our hearts and where our heart is at. And I know that God can't fully utilize us if our hearts aren't in the right place. So choosing to tithe and choosing to give that ten percent and choosing to be generous enables us to be the hands and feet of God, and it enables Whitewater to be the hands and feet of God because it takes money to do everything that we do, to run the speakers, to have the lights, to host one child. Um, it takes us stepping up and giving the church our finances. Um, so it was a scary thing, and it continues to be a little bit nerve-wracking. I took a voluntary layoff at work. I work as an analyst at Boeing, um, and I've kind of been the primary breadwinner. Um, Derek is now. He's in, he finished school. He's an engineer, so it's exciting. Um, but we are going to take... <laughs> Us and Whitewater are going to take a pretty substantial pay cut. Wait, um, what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, and we just bought a house that we bought at a garage sale. Um, where Derek said it, we, it couldn't have happened without God. Um, what, was it almost a year to the... Almost a year. I don't know exactly when we started tithing. I could go back and look. But I, it was almost to a year to the day that... Um, we went to a garage sale, and we kind of bonded with the house owners, and I said... And you said, get out. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I said, so how much do you guys... Are you looking at selling? Because they had a moving pod. And I said, well, how much is your house? And I'm not usually very brazen, but I got excited, so I just ran with it. Um, so it worked out. And they're extremely excited for us. Their genuine excitement for our family to move into their home um, is amazing. I mean, they gave us a plant and a $250 Home Depot gift card. And who does that when they're selling you their house? So... Um, and we're moving in with equity, which is crazy for this market right now. So it's just been such a blessing. But um, So God's taken care of you through this. Yes. If you could, um, is there anything else? You, if, you're, if you were sitting out there and you were like last year 
and you're looking at your finances, looking at your life, any word of encouragement that, um, that you would say to yourself if, if it were you? Well, for me, um, I truly believe that in tithing, God asks us to tithe because he loves us and he wants um, the best for us. And I truly believe that when we're tithing, our heart is going to be in the right place. And I think that in that, we're going to feel more joy. We're going to feel more peace. Um, we're going to feel more hope. Um, so regardless of what he does with it, um, interesting that he's going to do awesome things with it. For, for me, I just know that he asked me to do that because he loves me, which is kind of Hard to comprehend in the society that we live in, um, focusing on the dot, but I truly believe that he's going to make our lives so much fuller um, through doing that. And like I said last service, I trust that the staff here is going to use our money well. Um, I think that they're going to be transparent about it. I know that um, they're going to do good things with that. So it's exciting to be a part of that. Thank you, guys. Would you guys mind giving them a hand? Thank you so much. It's scary to get up and talk to people in general. It's scary to get people get up and talk about your faith. I think it might even be more scary to get up and talk about your faith in generosity. So thank you guys. Um, that's discipleship. What you guys just this is discipleship. Jesus is teaching us to do the things that Jesus calls us to do: praying, loving, feeding, taking care of people, being generous. Our church is a disciple-making church. I wanted you guys to hear that a snapshot of some real disciples of Jesus that step out in faith. And I wanted to close with, with these thoughts. Um, the problem here is fear. The problem here is when we focus on the dot as if this is all we have and we're like the disciples and we're looking out and Jesus gives us this bread and he says, go lay it before people and we're like, there's not enough. You know, what bread has God put in your hands? What, what relationships, what possessions what money what has god put in your hands he's asking you to lay down and say this is yours you're the owner i'm just the manager um the problem is fear and i love that when jesus was with his disciples he didn't just start breaking the bread and and go shazam he looked up to his heavenly father right and you guys know one of the most powerful prayers that was ever that has ever been given through all history, but it's in the scriptures in Matthew and Luke. Do you know the prayer that Jesus starts with his disciples? He says, when you pray, when you are going through hard times, when you don't have enough, when you are scared out of your mind, when you can't forgive somebody, when somebody's hurt you and and you just don't know what to do or you need to be forgiven, when you pray, pray like this. And you know what the first words are? Our Father. Our Father is one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. It's one of the most powerful statements, I think, in history. Our Father is like, is Jesus teaching them in any given moment where, where it only seems like there's a dot and there's no line. It only seems like the world's coming and crushing around you and there's, there's nothing beyond that. The kingdom's beyond you and you can't get there. When there's any moment like that, that all you have to do is say, Our Father, and it reminds you that God is with you and it like rips 
rips heaven down to earth. It like tears open heaven and brings it into your reality. And it reminds you and helps you see from an internal perspective that this isn't all there is. And this person, all they can do is hurt me for a moment. And, and, that, and that my life does not belong to them. And I shouldn't be afraid of people who can kill the body, but that can't kill the soul. Like I serve a, a, a king and a creator who created this whole thing. He's made me with a soul and he's made me for eternity. I'm going to live even if I'm in a pit of mud, I'm going to live my life like I'm made for eternity. I don't care what anybody else is going to do. I'm going to give away what God wants me to give away. I'm going to be generous with what God wants me to be generous with. I'm going to forgive people even if they don't deserve it. I'm going to, I'm going to overcome these obstacles. I'm going to trust in Christ because our Father is present. Amen? And so when you struggle and your hands want to close over the bread that God's given you, And you know you want to open them, but you're afraid. Our Father, look up to Him. He'll help you. He'll remove the things that you don't want to be and the ways you know you don't want to live. And you know the stuff. You know where all that leads. You know where dot living. You know where temporary living leads. It leads to just destruction and more temporality. And God wants us to be made and live toward eternity. Are you moving toward eternity? Are you moving the opposite direction? We're in this, this series and we, we've, we've challenged our church to be praying and thinking like, how can we get our church ready to continue being a place of belonging and belief? How can we continue being a church that's ready for that, that next step? Like, how can we, how can we bring a home home? Does that make sense? How can we get there as a community? And I think it's really simply taking the bread that Jesus gives us and laying it down even though we're scared, even though resources look scarce, and laying it down, and letting God multiply it. Amen? We have these cards in your seats, and we've been talking about this the last two weeks. That today was a day, today's a day that if you're ready to make a step of faith, a step of commitment, that this is that day. And, um, and I don't know where you are in your generosity journey. Maybe you're you're just here and you're, you just need to belong and that's your step of faith. I, don't give a dime to extra to our church. Don't, you know, we don't need, want your money. God doesn't need your money. I mean, we kind of do want your money, but we, God doesn't need your money. If your step of faith is just to belong and say, I'm going to belong here. I'm going to explore faith here. I'm going to like, I'm going to heal here. Don't give us a dime and be here. The reason that those of us who are here that give and give time, talent, and treasure is for you. We want, we, we give so that you can find Jesus. You can be like Mackenzie and, and, Kenzie, excuse me, and you can find a place of belonging and, and belief. That's, that's what we do here. But if you're ready to move, um, not letting go of belonging, but beyond it, to start contributing and giving so others can belong. If that's what God's calling you to do, you can take any one of these steps. T- tipping, you know, like just throwing a few. Like some people, they start with tipping or they give when they can, if they can. They give as a priority. They say, I'll give a percentage of my income this year. And every month they say, God first. Um, 
tithing. Some people start tithing like the Getzes shared and they take that step of faith. God, I'm going to trust that 90% with you is greater than 100% without you and my uh, being involved in my finances. Then people give progressively a, a percentages. And lastly, some people already, they, they've come into some money or they get a raise or they, they have something that comes to them. They're like, this is going to the Lord. And we call that an offering. No matter what step you're taking, and I want this to be a step that you have talked with the Lord about and you feel God is calling you to take. There's no pressure, no guilt on any of this. If you don't give toward this at all in this campaign, that's okay. I want this speech between you and the Lord or you and your family and the Lord. But if you're ready to make a commitment, what I would ask you to do is on the back of this, right? What, where are you at currently? Where are you at currently or where were you? And what step of faith are you, are you going to, to take? This is your generosity commitment. And as we sing the last songs and as we get ready to like move into a new series for our church, would you in this next song, would you lay down your commitment and keep this anonymous? If you want to just keep it in us and lay this down. This is our act as disciples of taking the bread Jesus has given us and laying it down. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that this would be a major moment in our church. Lord, we don't, you've done incredible things. Lord, you, Michael Rabb, uh, he came on without taking a, a salary, raised his own support. Scott Cones came and without, we didn't have any money for him. Our executive pastor came in and Lord, you blessed him and Even though he had to raise support for a while, Lord, you were able to bring him on in every step of the journey from, from house to schools. Lord, you've been with our church. And, and Lord, I pray that this would be a moment where our church today could, could step in faith, trusting you with the generosity. And Lord, would you multiply this? Would you multiply it? And Lord, we don't just want to be known for what we did, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. We want to be known by what we're doing today, now that we are living for the, for the line for eternity now. And that our church isn't a church that's just living for the dot. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.